I'm Jared Bias, and this is How to Disagree, a mini-series based on my book, Love Matters More, where we explore the question, how do we love people well when we disagree about important things? Welcome, everyone, to this episode. Today's question is, how do we love well when the people we disagree with are hurting us with their words or even their votes? I'm talking with Kevin Garcia and Reed Lively. Kevin is the author of Bad Theology Kills, which you can find at badtheologykills.com. And Reed asked that instead of mentioning anything that he's up to, that I mention his wife's creative project that you can find on Instagram and TikTok under Meg K. Part, including a webcomic called Skillset featuring LGBTQ characters. More than that, I consider Kevin and Reed both dear friends, and I've learned so much from them. One important lesson I learned from writing Love Matters More is that we can't just talk about this phrase, speaking the truth in love, from the perspective of the person who feels that speaking the truth in love is their job, but also from the perspective of the person who is getting spoken at. What does it mean to love well when we disagree with someone, but they won't let it go? When they keep insisting on telling us over and over how they disagree with our life choices? I was eager to get Kevin and Reed's perspective on this, and I was so grateful for what I learned, and I hope you pick up a thing or two for your journey as well. Well, welcome to the podcast, Kevin and Reed. Hello, what a pleasure to be here. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Okay, so let's start with your spiritual bio so that people can get to know you a little bit. So Reed, why don't you go first and give us just kind of the three-minute flyby of your spiritual life. I mean, it's a very simple task. Go. Yeah. Okay, three minutes. Let me see if I can be eloquent here. So I didn't really grow up in the church. Uh, we were priesters. So for those of you, that means we went to church on Christmas and Easter. Um, and then once I got into middle school, I went to a Christian camp, summer camp, did the altar call. And then I was just diehard Christian. I mean, read the Bible in a year in seventh grade, tried to do all the things, like really wanted to be the poster child for awesome Christian um, teenager. And I did it pretty well. I ended up at a Methodist youth group in high school. And really, if you can play an instrument and you are somewhat good at social skills, then you end up thriving in youth group culture. The youth group that I went to is also a pretty evangelical youth group. So I played guitar, led the youth worship team, and pretty much just did the youth group thing, led mission trips, small group studies, all of that. And uh, it was about probably three to four years into that, that I started to realize I might be gay, um, which is problematic when you're in in an evangelical culture. So I ended up falling in love with my best friend. And uh, that was an issue for lots of people. I actually ended up leaving that church and uh, the work that I was doing there. Um, So at the time I had identified uh, as a lesbian and was like, cool, I'm going to do the butch lesbian thing and the progressive Christian thing. That's actually when I uh, started to read some of Kevin's work. Um, So thank you, Kevin, for the work you were doing. Uh, I started to really identify with that progressive Christian label Uh, And then probably a few years later, I was like, you know what, there's more to uncover, more to unravel. So um, long story short, I'm not a trans man. So we kind of jumped a few chapters there, but there's not enough time to unpack gender identity. Uh, So all that being said is I'm a queer trans man who has gone through many labels in the church. And, uh, you know, I went to seminary. I dropped out after a year. I didn't want to go into debt to do ministry. Uh, So I don't even work in the church world anymore. Uh, I probably identify as spiritual now. The Christian label. I don't subscribe to all of those things, but I'm a spiritual person. Kevin, what's the phrase? Was she woo-woo? Woo-woo, vibey-ass bitch. That's, okay, that's what I am. Uh, Most days I try. Yeah. Excellent. All right, Kevin. All right. Batter up! 
I'm so butch, I know about that. That's from baseball. Hello, my name is Kevin Miguel Garcia. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I am a genderqueer human living in Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up, like all good gay testimonies, it starts off with, I grew up in a good Christian home and my mama was the worship leader, my uncle was the pastor. Uh, around age nine, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Um, I was at, like you read, I was at a Jesus camp and literally the altar call came and I felt something in my Shondo. And I went down and I said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and my personal Savior. And uh, after that, it was all kind of like, mm, we understand that Kevin is too much. So we're just kind of like pushing that sort of, I don't know. I was, it was just a lot of suppression. You know, I was like, I, I was a flamboyant kid, but like, it was just like, because I had the Holy Ghost, it's like, oh, you're just like a sweet kid or whatever. But if you, you know, fast forward to age 13, I'm realizing that I am attracted to boys, which is like a problem because you can't, again, you cannot be queer in an evangelical space. It is impossible because queer people don't exist according to them. So... I freak out. I don't tell anyone. My dad suspects it and then outs me to my mother a year later. I go to into ex-gay therapy for 12 years. Till age 24, I go and be a missionary. I work for missions organizations. I pursue God's healing. And by that, I mean I pursued trying to change my sexual orientation from gay to straight for over 12 years. Um, newsflash. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. So um, on the far end of it, I... Um, I quit missionary world. I got, I really got kicked out because again, you can't be queer in evangelical world. And I ended up in Atlanta living in a shitty basement apartment with my friend Casey. We shared a room in a shitty basement apartment. The The ceiling ended about three inches above my head. And uh, it was the best thing that could have happened to me because from there I was able to explore what does it mean to be a queer person who follows Jesus or a queer person who might be Christian. And then, you know, fast forward six years later, actually tomorrow, September 9th, is my sixth year anniversary. And since the day that I came out, I have been working in some capacity for the movement. I started working for the Reformation Project the day that I came out. And from there, um, you know, I went and got my master's in arts and practical theology. I switched from an MDiv because I realized I didn't want to work in a church anymore. But I saw the value in having like a little bit more research under my belt about what I actually wanted to do and practical theology fit that bill. Now, uh, I tell people uh, I don't identify as a Christian either, because while I still love Jesus and while I still love the teachings of, you know, like the really good core Christian teachings I think are dope, I am more than a Christian. You know, I believe in things that go beyond the bounds of what classical Christianity can be. And then if you're a mystic Christian, like you don't, you don't fucking care. And so like, I'm a mystic at heart for sure. Um, a woo-woo vibe, yes, bitch. That's for sure. Like I go and lead worship and preach sometimes at a black led, queer led, trans led Baptist church in Atlanta. And I also practice tarot cards and uh, weird energy meditations and, um, you know, dance naked under the full moon. So like, you know, my question for people is who do you say that I am? <laughs> well, it's very Jesus like of you. Uh, it also happens to be the lectionary text for this Sunday. So like, I'm like, Okay. You're on top of it. I'm preaching this Sunday. That's why I know. Oh, <laughs> nice. You don't just have a lectionary memorized. I know. I, I, you I, don't? I, I, was, I had you way up on this pedestal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so holy. Okay, well, let, we're, let's talk about this, this phrase, telling the truth in love. So what just kind of within that story, that, that trajectory of what you both just shared, what's your experience with this, with this phrase? I roll my eyes, first of all. Because like, I'm, I'm, I'm automatically assuming that it's coming from a loved one or... A well-meaning person who sincerely believes 
that they're not being an asshole in that moment. But the truth is, in love, I would like to speak the truth in love right now, you're being an asshole. Because, like, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm afraid that your drug addiction is killing you. It's another thing to say, I think your homosexuality is going to send you to hell. Like, those are two diametrically different things. Um, so, yeah, my first initial reaction is, I have nothing to say to you. I don't want to talk. Can I go now? That's my reaction. What about you, Reed? Yeah, I mean, same. I, I can't think of how many times I've heard I'm telling you this, uh, you know, I'm telling you this truth in love. Uh, and then everything that comes out after that is the most unloving thing in the world. I think back to even before I had come out myself uh, and was still like navigating that world of being in youth group and doing the mission trips and small groups of like telling the truth in love was like, oh, you have to just tell everyone what's wrong with them so they don't go to hell. Like you have this savior yes. of like, I am responsible for souls of like, I mm. like, and I've heard this over and over from queer people that like, we were actually the only ones taking it seriously. Like we carried this burden of like every person I yes, talk to 100%. is going to go to hell. And I, if I do not tell them what is wrong with them, if I don't tell them about Jesus, like I am ultimately responsible. That is some messed up shit. And also if I, if I'm responsible for them and I don't do it, does that mean I I'm in danger of hell too. A hundred percent. So you carry that. Once I broke through this like wall of like, oh, I am queer. I can start asking a bunch of questions and unraveling things. I saw through that smoke screen of like, oh, when other people speak the truth in love, it's not necessarily because they're concerned about like me going to hell. It's just an excuse for them to like say whatever they want about me without having like doing the work of being in relationships and like having boundaries. And it's like, oh, if I just say this, then like I can say whatever I want. It's fine. As long as I say, mm -hmm. speaking the truth in love. As long as I say, I just, I just feel like the spirit put this on my heart to tell you. That's my favorite one. Like, I feel like God told me to tell you. I think you should go back and ask God again because I think she actually told me something different. But did she say that? Did she? I don't know. So I wanted to spend the, more of our time with a murkier area, which is the messages of Jesus in the New Testament around loving your neighbor. How has that needed to shift as you started to claim your LGBTQ plus like identities? Because for me, sometimes love your neighbor is often a call from people in power. I call it doormat theology, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a way of just saying, um, just let people do whatever they want to you. Like that's what Jesus would do. It's kind of this turn the other cheek um, kind of theology and ethic. And um, so for you, just as that's who you are, how, how have have you shifted this idea of loving your neighbor? Reed, do you wanna do you have anything to start with? I honestly think about once I was able to love myself and like accept who I was and realize like I don't need a theology behind my identity and loving myself. Like I don't need a rule book for that. It actually gave me a lot more space to love other people who don't always like follow the things that I'd like them to follow or even things that I don't get. Like I growing up with really only an understanding of Christianity, I wasn't exposed to a lot of other religions. So I was like, I don't, you know, don't understand what other mm. people practice. I don't understand behaviors or anything like that, other cultures. And so once I started to like get out of that bubble, it was like, oh, I don't need to understand you to love you. I just need to respect you and I can learn more about you and still love you. And so that one just opened up this like really beautiful, diverse world that I had been missing out on because I had been sheltered and then that's no like you know that's nothing about my parents or anything it's just the environment we grew up in and getting 
kind of sucked into a youth group like the one I was at really did shelter me from a lot at between high school and college when you're learning a lot of different things and meeting a lot of different people. So learning to love my neighbor became a thing of like mm-hmm. being curious, not judging and just being open and being like, hey, even if I don't get that, like I learned something about this person today. And while it is difficult, it has also helped me do that with people who don't quite love me back, right? Like people who don't see my marriage as valid or like don't think I should compete in sports, like all of those things of like, okay, I can love you and like be curious about like where that position came from. But like, I don't necessarily have to talk to you about that, right? I can step back and be like, cool, I'm not going to engage with that, right? Like, I don't need to call you names. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. need to engage with you. I can still love you, but I'm going to do it from afar because like now we're talking about my personal identity and like, again, I love myself. I want to be safe. So it's kind of all this like, I don't know. Once I got to know myself a little bit more, everything else kind of started to unravel about like how I started interacting and loving other people. I think the idea, like very similar to what you were saying, Reed, is that the more I learned about myself, the more I learned how to love this body and this soul and this life as it is and not in the way that I wish it were, loving other people became a lot easier for me. I think the words of Jesus are love your neighbor as yourself. We really like overall never got it. Never really, really got it. Because let me tell you what, I'm at a point in my life where nine days out of 10 days, I do get it. I'm in a good season right now. And also the Zoloft helps. But like, I understand God's love for me in a way, or at least I have a taste of it. And because of that, I no longer need the approval of anybody else or the love from anybody else. Like I have it enough for me and I have it for my friends. And I also have it enough for my enemies too, because I look at the people who can't love me or don't want to love me or whatever. And I mostly feel pity now. It makes me so sad that you are missing out on the glorious, lovely, delightful human that I am and that Reed is. And I'm like, you seem very miserable. I'm like, that that must be so hard. But you know, if you want to come sit at our table, you are welcome when you're done being an asshole, you know? And that's my kind of boundary is like, I love you no matter what, but you cannot be an asshole to me or my friends. And that's just a simple rule for me. And like, you know it when you see it. Yeah, let's go into that a little bit because sure. I, that's that that's something I think that you have you both have a unique perspective on. Because we're talking about in this whole series, it's like, how do you love people you disagree with, right? So kind of coming out of the book, love matters more. How do we love people when we disagree? And for mm-hmm. a lot of people, that is like, Facebook banter that it really is kind of inconsequential for your life. So we get riled up about things a lot of times that really have no practical, you know, export on our life or consequence on our life. But when you're disagreeing with someone who's like voting and protesting and speaking out against very practical things, read, like you said, against your ability to get married, your Uh ability to feel safe walking down the street. What does it mean for you to love your enemy or love those people you disagree with when those disagreements are often very, like very practically harmful? Yeah. Uh, when it's it's a lot of work and energy, to be honest. <laughs> Saying the very least, it's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, Kevin, it's a lot for you. Um, what is it? I think it's Lexapro for me. Goodness. Um, but I mean, I, I think about it. So when I do have the energy um, and the relationship is there and there's, I can tell someone's not acting out of bad faith. Um, and when I say bad faith, like they're not just trolling you and trying to get a reaction out of you. Like that. they truly... Um, are like this is truly what they believe and they truly think they are being kind and loving and I I get that because I was that person I grew up in that environment where I remember 
being like leading our youth praise band team and being told that I had to like essentially fire our guitarist for coming out as gay. And I did that because I was a as a youth schooler. leader, as a youth leader, I was a high schooler. And I was like, this is, <gasps> I, I thought I was doing the holy thing. Right. I have made oh like amends oh. with this person. We are such good friends this day. Amen. Like, oh I am so grateful that like, we've been able to patch that up. And to be honest, like this person, like coming out, before me like help me wrestle a lot with my sexuality so like there's a nice story that there seems- for another day but i will say that like i was in that place right like that is what i thought was the loving thing to do i was like i love this person i don't want them to go to hell like i i want to hang out in heaven with them like i love them and so i truly thought I was acting out of love. And so for those people who are not acting out of bad faith, who truly think they're doing the right kind of loving thing, again, if you truly believe these things, the ridiculous things people do actually do make sense, right? And oh, so, yeah. well, I'm, I'm actually happy to have that conversation because I think oftentimes what happens is people who believe these things often haven't been exposed to like a queer person. They've never met a trans person. They've never met a gay person. Mm-hmm. And so Let alone they have a queer this image. Faith. Oh my God. Right. And so once you like have this relationship, it's like, Oh, all of my like assumptions are wrong. And like these walls are coming down. And then once you have that cognitive dissonance, it's like, okay, wait, what do I do with these beliefs then? Like, queer people aren't bad. They're actually some of the most loving kind Jesus like people I've ever met. The same boat as you again. I mean, boundaries are a blessing and uh, the church actually doesn't teach us good boundaries. The church has taught us codependence that our entire life is based off of how our faith community feels about how we're acting. Kind of like what we've been pointing at is like, there's no boundaries. There's like, I got to tell you everything that's wrong with you in order to save your soul. And that really as backwards as it is, or backwards to us makes a lot of sense. Because if I, I remember being there, it's like, I literally believed in a literal hell and a literal Jesus that literally came back from the dead. I still believe Jesus came back from the dead because I'm a wacko. But that fear, that imminent fear of, of hell is probably the most damaging, toxic theology that has all of us by the neck. Um, and that fear of hell motivates people to do terrible things. And so, as I've done my work, like Reed, is that when I look at them and I see where they're at. I'm like, if I believed that, I of, of course I would act that way. So I look at like certain people in my family, um, extended family as well, is that um, of course you're acting like that. You believe that I'm in the dangers of hell. Why wouldn't you act like that? It makes so much sense. And then that's where my, that's where like compassion and pity comes up. Cause like, oh, that's so sad. And that's where I go. Cause I sometimes go to anger, could go to anger because it's just like, Guys, what do you, what do you, what the fuck do you mean that you think I'm going to hell? But I, I think the unpacking, like, like Reed said, the majority of people online are are not in, you know, engaging on people on Twitter or on Instagram. People aren't there on good faith. They're they're there to like punch it in and to to do the savior thing that they think they're supposed to do. And so I could get mad at them for that, or I could you know, respond in kind saying, hey, it's okay that you disagree with me, but you can't say X Y Z things because that's that's just rude. I actually told somebody on my page, I'm just like, I don't care that you disagree with me, but you're being an asshole. So either be nice or fuck off. That's my other rule. And I think for me, the, there are people in my life who get a pass that I know that like they're problematic for all the reasons. And also I've been friends or I've loved them long enough to where I am willing to do the work with them. And I'm also willing to take the brunt of whatever backlash because that's what 
love does for in in my book. And it's like at the end of the day, my main concern, honestly, it, are the people who are getting hurt by those people. I think that's where my heart really lights up is just like if you really understood what you were doing which you do not you wouldn't do this anymore and that's why I, I just like i i feel calm a lot of the time these days it's just like you're stuck in a fearful dream and, you know and those who are stuck in a fearful dream perceive any sort of light as like a threat to them and their the illusion that their ego has created for them and until they perceive the light as something that is actually there there to help them and perceive that it actually can wake them from their dream, they're going to seek to put it out. I think that's beautiful. I think both of those stories are, uh, yeah, have a lot of respect for, for your ability to bear one another's burdens, right? That's kind of part of that same passage that Paul talks about, um, telling the truth in love right before that. It's actually bear with one another in love. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about um, this boundary idea because I love this this phrase from, I think it's Prentice Hemphill that says, boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Because I think for people who, they just, they, they feel hurt, right? Because there's like aggressive people in their family or in their friend group, and they feel like they're constantly having to defend themselves and it just gets exhausting, but they feel like they have to take that to be loving. What are some practical examples of what setting boundaries looks like? And how do you think of that as still being loving? Let me tell you what, I love talking about this stuff. This is also what I do with a lot of my clients when, um, you know, I work with a lot of queer people and ex-evangelicals deconstructing folks, and a lot of them have conservative families. And so it's like, okay, so how do I maintain a relationship without ripping their jugulars out or always getting upset and triggered by them? And I think it comes down to some really honest and clear communication. Tell the truth about everything to everyone all the time. That is the mantra and the motto that I try to live by, because if you can get that right, your life will be so much less stressful. But here's the, um, the metaphor I use. It's called the price of admission. I got this from one of my friends whom I can't remember at this point, but I did not come up with it. But think about when you go to a fair, right? Or a state fair, and you know you, you pay the overpriced ticket, and then you buy like the ride tickets, and then you get the, the, the funnel cake, and you're like paying all this thing. You know what you're doing. This is the price of admission. I, I know that I'm paying $15 for this. I'm paying overall probably $100 for heartburn. But I know that. I choose that. I want that. Relationships all have a price of admission. And that, that price is your energy, right? So around my best friends, the price of admission is BYOB most of the time. You know, please, you know, pitch in for gas if we're driving together. Be yourself. And let's just have some fun. Pretty low, you know. That's things that I'm willing to pay for. The price of admission around my family is I have to quiet myself. I have to be less flamboyant. I haven't dared or I haven't worn a dress home. Let's just say that. I've worn lipstick, but I haven't worn a dress yet. But like, that's the price of being at my house is like, I can't be me. And my question then has to become, am I willing to pay that price? And for right now, I am. I love my family. We're working on things and, you know, there's progress being made. So I'm willing to pay the price. And... I think that we also need to make sure that if the price is too high, that we negotiate. For example, with my mother, I told her about a year after I came out and I was still had to be secretive around the house and I couldn't be myself and my mom still didn't know what to do with it. And I just told her straight up, I said, mom, I need you to show up for my life because if you do not, I don't know if I can show up here anymore. And another way that I phrase it now is if I cannot get this, our relationship is going to have to change. And so with people, whenever you're setting a boundary, like if you need to say, okay, mom and dad, we can no longer talk about X, Y, and Z things when I'm around you because it causes me to really dislike you. 
And if this cannot happen, our relationship is going to have to change. And you don't even have to put anything else behind that. It's like, this is the reality. You're causing me to feel bad and I'm not willing to do that anymore. And that sounds like a lot of cojones, but at the end of the day, like my peace is the most important thing to me. And if I have peace, I can be at peace with other people. But if you, if you disturb that peace, honey, got things to do, people to go to. It's not you. Yeah, maybe Reed, before you jump in, I, I, the only thing I would add to that again, and I liked what you said earlier, Reed, that this isn't prescriptive for everyone. There's no kind of shoulds here. It's just no shoulds. experiences. And, you know, just Coulds, to, not shoulds. Right. And one thing that I think of in that space is sometimes I found myself, again, you don't have to do this, but I found myself sometimes putting it on me, being able to say like, listen, I wish I was stronger. Like I wish I could engage in these conversations, but I just can't. Like it is not good for me mentally to keep going here. So I wish I could, I can't, you know, that's on me, but kind of we're here we are. This is the reality either way. And, and so they kind of, you can kind of take the blame a little bit, but it's still, you know, cause sometimes I feel like it can feel too combative not to do and I don't, that. And I don't think it's like taking the blame. It's just letting the situation be known for what it exactly is. It's like, right. I'm not blaming my mother for being, for growing up for 40 years as a conservative military wife. I'm not blaming her for that. She is who she is right now. And I am who I am right now. And right now, if this is not working, if this doesn't feel good, I got to go find something that does feel good. Yeah. And it's not like, a, it's not blaming, it's not judging. It's just like, you want to feel good. I want to feel good. We can do this together or apart. Which would you like? Mm-hmm. That's well put. And Reed, what, what would you add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think back to what you, in that question is like, for people who are trying to figure this out, and they're like, oh, well, people are so aggressive, right? Like, I don't, I'm defending myself and like, where does that come from? And you know, I, I remember having this conversation with, with my mom and I had to paint this picture for her is, uh, so my mom's black, I'm biracial, so my dad is white. And I asked her what their dating relationship was like when they first got together. It was in the eighties. Um, and I remember like they had traveled throughout the South up to the East coast. And then they went across over to California. And I asked him, I was like, were there times when you were doing that road trip with my dad in the eighties where like, where you felt uncomfortable? Like, did you walk into a restaurant and like you were uncomfortable? She was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. And I was like, why? She talked about how like people would stare at them because they were an interracial couple and they thought in certain places in the States, right? Like there were certain times she was uncomfortable. And I was like, I want you to think about that. And then I want you to think now about how I feel where we go out to certain places, how I feel, right? Like I am a trans mm. man where at this point now in, in my life, majority of people perceive me as a cisgender male. They might think I'm a little effeminate, but they, I'm perceived as male at this point. But I told her, I was like, you have to think about how often I, I have walls up of like, whenever I meet a new person and I'm like, are we gonna be friends? Like, do they think I should be married? Do they think I should compete in sports? Like, how do they feel about like me existing as a human, as a trans man, right? Think about why we might have that aggression of like constantly yes. always that energy of like having to protect yourself of being like, is the person I'm interacting with today going to be a kind human mm -hmm. or like, is this going to be a tough day? Is this going to be a tough conversation? And then think about yeah. like the person in my life who's on the fence, who isn't an ally, who it doesn't know how they feel about me. Like, God, think about your friends and family of like, they don't know how they feel about you. I can't think of how many times I've heard that like Ugh, said to me, same. like- 
you don't know where they like how nice are they going to be today like are they like i just sometimes you get people who like flip-flop and so that's a lot of times where that aggression comes from of like why why it can feel aggression and i'm not going to say it's aggression like it's it's that's my honesty mm-hmm. right but that's yeah. why it can feel like aggression on the other side because like it's not just this conversation mm-hmm. it's everything behind it and yeah. i, I want to talk a little bit about setting boundaries too because i do have a practical example of what that's looked like but when it is speak to the aggression but the timing of this question couldn't be um couldn't be better because i when i was in working at the church that i was when i came out i was a student ministry intern that was my official title there were two of us interns and so um the other intern that i worked with we were really really good friends like we went on trips together all of that when i came out I, like I did not have that support from that friend, and that was really tough for me because I thought that was a relationship I could count on, and it wasn't. Um, and it was very clear to me that I was losing a lot of relationships out of this church. And so life happens. I moved out of the the city I was in. They they moved. They got married. All of that good stuff. And I hadn't heard from them in a few years. But I know that they are not affirming of of what they would call my lifestyle, right? And so I got a text from them the other day, last week. Random out of the blue, asked me something about music. And so we 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 chatted back and forth um and after kind of the conversation like didn't go anywhere i finally said hey uh just curious like what made you decide to reach out after so many years and they said can i be honest and i was like i would appreciate that yes god i hope you would be yeah um no don't be honest lie to me (laughs) and they said well i you know i've been thinking of you and i've been doing some work and you know i miss you and i know we don't agree on the Bible and all these things and like want to be friends. And like, I want you to know I'm here for you as a friend. If you don't want to be my friend, I understand. And so I, I, I thought a bit of like how I wanted to respond. And I said, hey, you're absolutely right. I was like, it's probably more than like, we don't see eye to eye on the Bible. I was like, but when you say that, here are my assumptions. And so here is my boundary setting here. As I told them, these are the assumptions I have because I haven't talked to you in three years. So I don't know who you are anymore. But I said, when, when you tell me we don't see eye to eye on the Bible, that tells me that you don't think I should be married mm-hmm. to my incredible partner you think my transition is a sin and that I'm going to hell. And it is really hard to have a friendship with someone yep. who believes those things. And I said, now, I hope those are assumptions that I'm wrong, but I'm open to talking with you and like, you know, just having it, at least talking about things. And I never heard back from them. Uh, and that was not mm. I had said. Uh, and it, it sucks because it was like, you know, you reach out a little bit hoping that like, because I wanted to be snarky. I wanted to like say yeah. a bunch of things. I wanted to ghost them. But I was like, no, like, let me bring out the olive branch. And I almost asked. I didn't. But this was going to be my follow up question. I was like, and so this is my price of admission, Kevin. Right. Can you get my name and pronouns right? That is a oh, minimum. The bar is in hell on that life. one. The bar is in hell. And so that is what setting boundaries looks like. And that's not being aggressive. And I'm sure, Kevin, when I got that text, like legit, I oh. thought of you and I said, what would Kevin do? What would Kevin tell me to do? How can I have a boundary? I really did. I thought of you. So thank you. But oh, I relate way too hard to that. The aggression I'm feeling right now, I feel like is the same. It's like, again, it's not just this particular story. It's every story that I've lived through and all every story that my friends have lived through. And that's the thing is like, people don't understand. It's like, why are you getting mad at me? I'm your family. I'm just like, because I shouldn't have to deal with my family not loving me. I should not be on the, br- the, the, the blunt end of your misunderstanding or lack of understanding or unwillingness to try and even have compassion despite not understanding. You don't need to understand. You need to be compassionate. 
And if your compassion doesn't come across as compassion to me, it is not compassion. You got to understand love is in the eye of the receiver always. Ooh, I need to take a breath. (sighs) Well, and also, I mean, you're always preaching, Kevin. Thank you for that. Oh. <laughs> uh, can I? Can we just talk about the work too, right? Like yes. we talked a lot about, uh, like we can talk all day about allyship and all those things. And like those are words that, like buzzwords that get people like really like ah, like this is a liberal conversation. But like let's actually talk about like okay, talking with people you disagree with, right? Like what does that look like for specifically queer people? Um, and we can even talk in a faith context. It's like there is this expectation of like. Queer people are the ones who are told, well, love your neighbor. You should just love them anyways. Like, they're your family, they're your friend, they're your brother and sister in Christ. But, like, I want to talk about who's actually doing the majority of the work here. Who is relationships. doing it? Who is like, doing it? <laughs> going back to that story of that person who had reached out, like, okay, let me bring out that olive branch. Like, let's start this conversation and, like, zip. Because it cost me everything to enter into a relationship with you and it costs you nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm expected to be misgendered, to be called by a name that I don't go by, to be told anything from like, hey, that's unnatural to like, are you still living that lifestyle to like, why, what went wrong in your life? Like, right, any of those oh, passive yeah. aggressive comments and like, I'm expected to deal with that and not have any sort of reaction at all. Oh, yeah, that's just why. Like, of co- no, yeah, just of course. Like, they don't yeah. mean, I didn't mean anything by it. Yeah, why are you mean- so sensitive? Oh. Yeah, so I like, hmm. that, that is what we're told as loving our neighbor looks like and, and disagree- loving people through disagreements. And like, mm. I think that is a really unfair expectation, right? Yeah. Like, because again, the amount of work and energy to like also like subscribe to your like idea of being kind and okay during that is really like in any other scenario, mm-hmm. we really, really wouldn't say that is okay, right? Like, well, and that maybe again, I don't, I don't want to um, come to any conclusions. So you guys can say if I'm if I'm off base, but I think that's also one of the roles of boundaries when we talk about if love really does matter more. I know in certain situations like that, I'm I'm not going to be my best self. So why would I put myself in that position? I I have to avoid that position for love to really reign supreme in my life. Like I can't be in that situation. And that's what a boundary is. It's saying, how can I show up in the world in my best way and my best self? And sometimes that means I can't go into certain rooms of the house. Like I can't go there. With loving with boundaries too, that doesn't mean that it's like, hey, I I hate you and I don't ever want to talk to you again and I hope your life sucks, right? It's like, hey, I wish you the best. Like, again, here's what that relationship is going to look like, whether it it is maybe we don't actually ever talk, but I don't wish you harm. Like, Mm -hmm. again, I can still wish you all of the best and have as much love in my heart. And again, for that person who reached out, I don't wish horrible things on them. I, in fact, I wish I they do. were here. Like, <laughs> I wish they were here though, right? Because I mean, Kevin, you said this too of like that pity of like you are missing out mm-hmm. on this so much, and like it yes. makes me sad that it's like you aren't. You're just not getting the fullness of, and, and to use their language of the glory of God, right? Like you're not my, getting my. out of that, and so I think for anyone who's been like, well, this person actually cut off all ties with me. Like they've stopped talking to me. They aren't as kind, and it's like, well, you know what? Like for them that's loving themselves and loving you from afar and that's okay some uh this is some marion williams says williamson says is that sometimes love says no i think about like people that i no longer speak to um on purpose because if they're around and i cannot treat them with respect and it's only stress like at the end of the day it does not make me feel peace and for me peace is god you know that like the peace that passes understanding only comes about if i if i'm 
if I understand that, I don't have to put up with this shit no more. Being able to say, I am unwilling to let you do that anymore. Some people get real bent out of shape because they feel entitled to your body. It, yeah, the entitlement and the flip side that there's a theology that says the Christian thing to do is to mm-hmm. always give yourself over to whatever somebody wants. And and yes. those tie together in very toxic ways. Does that mean if I ask people to be gay that they're like obligated to be it, gay? Yes, I think it's I think so, especially like all like you know if if homosexuality is a choice, I would love to see a straight pastor choose to change his sexuality because it, if it's a choice there has to be some there, there has to be and i've never seen it but what do i know yeah that's another podcast for another time all right well as we as we wrap up our time here it's a way of saying we have to be done soon unfortunately i, I just want to give you an opportunity here because i think there's a lot of people who relate who may not identify as lgbtq i think it, it just it has such a, a broader implication and but i would say you guys it, you um, the two of you, in in many ways, are unfortunately kind of experts at this, right? Like you've gone, you've gone through a lot um, that other people. Ten thousand hours, baby. <laughs> unfortunately, that's so sad. Yeah. So, like, what what can you teach us about how to walk through this with grace, and what you know, what are the lessons you've learned that can be applied to a lot of people in a lot of situations um, for how to love people who maybe aren't loving you back? Well. There is a practice, you know, ancient, it's called forgiveness. And this is what I mean by that. I do not mean that you give someone carte blanche to just like get off the hook or whatever, um, to not hold up boundaries. What I am saying is that you need to forgive yourself first before anything else. For me, I had to forgive myself for thinking that other people had the power to dictate my worth. I surrendered that power for so long that my church or my parents or my family or my my church friends or people who like you know had bi- went to Bible college like I said these people know better than me. They know God better than me. And so I had to forget like I think the real thing like the regret that we have for like being in the church for so long, the way that I got over that is I forgave myself. I said, "Kevin, you did the best you could and you didn't know. You didn't know. And now you know." So what, go, get over it. You're fine. You're here now. And so being able to say like, it's all right. I'm okay. I did what I had to do in the moment. And then I have to look at all the people around me who are still stuck in that where I was and be like, wow, you're stuck. That sucks. And also it's not my responsibility. All I can do is be my light and the light will either wake you up or it won't. And that's not my business. My, my business is to shine. And so I would say the practical thing I have is finding a practice in your life, finding a new kind of spiritual path that allows you to let go. Because at the end of the day, if your mind is still preoccupied with thoughts of the past, you will never be free for your future. It's a good word. It's a, it's a good benediction here. Reed, take us home. No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say anything novel here. I'm going to hold on to exactly what we've been saying is this this boundaries piece. Because I, I think it's there's a reason why we keep talking about it. But I think especially for those of us who really do have people that we love and it's like, oh my God, how do they believe these things? Like how we're like, it's just this big obstacle in our relationship is honestly like respect their boundaries too. And, and like, I know there's some of that, like, ah, uh, like we actually actually like have to treat others like kindly as well. Um, like You don't have to, but it would help you. That's true. I mean, I just think of like 
like fight that urge to send them like article after article after article Ooh, of yes, like yes, to yes, get yes, yes. to get you to their side because it's like you know how that feels and like you don't love that so respect those boundaries too of like they don't want to have that conversation over dinner or on the phone like meet them where they are because th- they have those boundaries too whether or not you see them as good or bad at the end of the day like those are their boundaries and it's you're not going to move forward in anything if if we're not like coming respecting each other where we are so mm-hmm. i would just hold on to that but also Again, this is advice that my mom gave me, and I used it against her too. I'm sure she loves me for that. You can't live your life around other people's expectations. So at the end of the day, like as much as we want to see mind. people that we love, like be where we are, live your truth. You know, don't don't center your life around where, where other people are coming mm-hmm. from. So do that in love. Do that with boundaries. Yeah. Find the thing that's going to make you happy and pursue it no matter what. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for taking the time and energy and effort to... What a pleasure. Come and talk. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode. If you haven't already, please pick up a copy of the book, Love Matters More, How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus. And if you like it, rate and review it where you can online. If you don't, keep that to yourself. I don't need anyone else to speak the truth and love to me about the book. Thanks so much. 